Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisha Mazuz, and this is a show where I sit down with high-achieving and inspirational recruitment professionals across the globe. It's my job to deconstruct how they have accelerated their recruitment career and remained at the top of their game by uncovering their daily habits, mindset, approach to leadership, and much, much more. The podcast has now evolved in line with the new learning and development community exclusive to recruitment consultants I have launched called Recruitment Mentors. Why have we built and launched this community? Because we believe at Recruitment Mentors that if you're a recruitment consultant that genuinely has the inner ambition and drive to want to become the best recruiter you can be, then you should not be limited or prevented by barriers that sit outside of your control. If that's working for a recruitment business that simply doesn't make enough money to invest in learning development, to ending up in an environment for no fault of your own where they just don't value investing in learning and development, your growth and your goals could be prevented by barriers that simply you can't influence. We don't believe this is fair, which is why this community is solely built and focused to help recruitment consultants like you listening to this podcast accelerate your recruitment career without limits. The community is not about egos. What the community is about, is about giving you access to some of the best recruitment professionals outside of your four walls, outside of your network from different sectors, different locations and backgrounds that you can learn from whilst connecting you with like-minded recruitment consultants focused on growth. I am delighted to now say that we have our 40 founding members inside this community consuming the content, connecting with mentors and connecting with their peers. And the feedback so far has been amazing. And we have now just launched our website. So I wanted to let all of you know that if you want to join this community, you want to join the community opening in the new year, then join our waiting list at www.recruitmentmentors.com. That's www.recruitmentmentors.com and you'll see the rest of the content on there, what to expect and a whole lot more. That's enough from me. Here's what's in store for this episode. To be quite honest, my you know I didn't come from any privileged backgrounds. My parents had to struggle in life, and um, yeah, that that was always just drummed into me that you've got to work harder than everyone in life. You've got to do things to become somebody and achieve, you know, a certain certain status and. A, achieve big things in life basically so my mum always drummed that into me from a young age so I guess I always knew that if I wanted to do things then I would have to work and yeah what better way than work for your own self welcome to the recruitment mentors podcast my name is Hisham Mazuz. today I'm very excited to be joined by Donovan Pignacello Uh, who is one of the founders of a global specialist SAP recruitment agency called Nicholas Bernard. Um, Donovan formed this agency 10 years ago by himself, but from 2013, he has been growing this business with his business partner, Richard Onyajua, uh, for the last seven years. They currently have 13 employees in the business and last year turned over just under 8 million. Donovan, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me on uh, this podcast, Hishem. I've been listening to it for the last year and a half, really. And um, yeah, thank you very much. You've added a lot of value to uh, this recruitment space. I appreciate it, Donovan. And uh, safe to say, we just practiced three or four times the names (laughs) (laughs) before we did that. But where I want want to start, Donovan, the first question is, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly... (laughs) successful recruitment consultant well characteristics first and foremost you need to be hungry you know everyone says that they want it but when it comes down to the actions you really see how hungry how hungry they are 
So it's got to be number one for me is hunger, determination, and there needs to be a reason why that person wants to achieve it. Mm. Do you think that hunger can be taught? Definitely not. Really? Definitely not. No, it's hunger is a character trait. It's, it's either you're born with hunger or your circumstances in life is going to give you a reason to have hunger, but you can't teach someone to have hunger. You can teach someone skills, a process, um, an industry sector, but you can't teach hunger. It's either you've got hunger or it's either you're, um, it's either you're put into a situation where you develop hunger, but it definitely mm. can't be taught. Do you think in, so just interested on this. So, um, I think it's safe to say a lot of young, the younger generation get a bad reputation for not being as hungry or not wanting to work as hard or whatever. Would you agree with that? I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree <laughs> with it to a certain extent. Yeah. Really interesting. So, um, look, Donovan, so what we're going to focus on today is definitely sort of Donovan's recruitment business owner journey. And obviously that, that spans over, um, 10 years, but obviously before that, from, from what I can see, you worked as uh, an employed recruiter for over five years, right? Before you got to that, to that point of starting your own business. Yep. So, um, let me, let me just, just start here. What, what gave you the confidence to go out on your own and start a recruitment business? I think that's what a lot of people lack that confidence or the willingness to take that jump. So what, what would you say looking back gave you the, the confidence to, to start your recruitment entrepreneur journey? Well, to be quite honest, I always knew from when I was at university that one day I was going to have my business and my own business. And I didn't know what in, but I always knew that I would be running my own company one day. And I did international business with languages at university. And it so happened that I managed to get into international recruitment where I use languages almost what, every what day. What languages do you speak? So I speak Italian, French, and Spanish. Really? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Definitely, um, I mean, with a name like that, I guess people would expect it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, when they see me, they definitely don't accept it. <laughs> okay, so you got into that and then, okay, in, international recruitment, utilizing your, your bilingual skills. Yeah, because I first started off doing um, telecoms recruitment for the South American market. Uh, I worked at a company called The Blue Group, which got bought out by Mawson's International. And then um, this was in 2004. And then I went in doing um, SAP recruitment for a company called Square One in 2006. And mm. it was all international based. I've only ever done international recruitment contracts. That's interesting. So always, so you've always done contract recruitment, international markets. And have you always utilized your bilingual oh, yeah. skills then? Really? Yeah, yeah. So when I was recruiting um, for... Um, telecoms in South America. It was uh, Spanish speaking. Even uh, I was doing the Brazilian market, and uh, I would speak slowly to clients in Spanish, and really? they would answer me slowly, very slowly in Portuguese, and we could understand each other. And uh, yeah, I'll be closing deals like that. <laughs> that. Amazing. Yeah, so, even managed to do a client visit in Brazil once. <laughs> really, that's awesome. So, yeah. where did this hunger? for your own business come from then talk to me what what did you have parents who were entrepreneurial did you did you think that was the only way to build a life that you wanted to provide yourself and your family like where where did that that hunger come from um to be quite honest my you know i didn't come from any privileged backgrounds my parents had to struggle in life and um yeah that that was always just drummed into me that you've got to work harder than everyone in life you've got to do things to become somebody and achieve you know a certain certain status and achieve big things in life basically so my mum always drummed that into me from a young age so I guess I always knew that if I wanted to do things then I would have to work and yeah what better way than work for your own self yeah for sure so um, 
Before you started Nicholas Bernard and went out on your own, yeah. So you worked at a business for nearly four years before you you took took the took the leap. So I guess what what sort of things happened for you to be like, right, I'm going to do this on my own? Did you have a really good good year? Did you think, right, why why can't I do this for myself? I'm making this company money. Was there anything in particular that gave you the confidence to start this venture? To be quite honest, um, before I set up, I had some up and down years. So I had a good spell at the Blue Group. Um, where I was doing telecoms recruitment. I got a bit fed up of, you know, just doing the the difference hours because I was doing South American or US hours. And um, at the time, the, 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 the US dollar was a very low when you converted it back to pounds, which meant the commissions were quite low. So I wanted to do something more, you know, European focused. Um, I went to Square One and then I went to, to um, a company called Spring Technology, which was then bought out by Deco. And then the financial crisis hit. And I was specializing at the time, placing SAP consultants into banks. You know, so I went from zero <laughs> to zero, literally overnight. And, um, yeah, I ended up, I left Spring and then went to some absolute shit shows and i thought <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i went to some you know i went to a company in particular which i thought i could just do a better job with my eyes closed so yeah i just thought okay. i'm gonna do it so let's break down this journey then because we we're talking about this before so at the beginning i think you'd agree that you it was a, a bit of a lifestyle business right um Indeed, and that yeah. was the first couple of years so it was just you um yeah. working from home working and then and then just bedroom. for yeah from your bedroom so just just for context so for first two three years that was that and then obviously 2013 and um, as i explained in the introduction richard then came on as, as your business partner yep. again as, as we discussed then obviously the both of you then building up some traction for nicholas bernard and making sure that this is a business that you can grow and then for the last sort of um three to four years you then focused on on growth and, and hiring people, et cetera, yeah? So yeah. let's just let's just focus on just quickly the early days, yeah. right? Because obviously as you working from home in your bedroom and then you also had a, um, a Muay Thai. So was you doing Muay Thai professionally at that point or? Yeah, so I, I did Muay Thai back in early 2000s and, you know, I, I focused on university and, starting out in recruitment and I bought my flat, my first flat in 2005 or yeah, 2005 it was. So, you know, I stopped all of that. And then I went back to it when in 2010, when I had um, started or set up Nicholas Bernard from home where I had a bit more flexibility and it was essentially a bit more of a lifestyle business. And um, yeah, I used to train twice a day. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Six days per week. And um, I ended up fighting in Thailand. I had uh, nine amateur fights and about six professional fights at the O2 Indigo, at Scala in, um, in King's Cross and at Coco's in Camden Palace. Um, mm. I fought under a gym called Team 2 at Gym Box. Okay. So okay. it was, um, you know, it was, it was quite good because I would get the training to bank in the morning, go to Gym Box train go to shoreditch where our office was and uh yeah crack on in the evenings how, how long did you do that for the whole fighting thing probably about f four years okay yeah it was um yeah so interesting let, tough time yeah as well. <laughs> for sure so like so let, let's just talk a bit about i'd love to just sort of for you to share the sort of comparisons that you see in sort of being in that environment, training, fighting, and how that's translated into Donovan business. Because for me, I, I'm i a huge fan of um, MMA. Yeah, I've only done like five Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes and I hurt my knee and I haven't been back. So that's, <laughs> uh, I used to do karate when I was a kid. But for okay. me, what, what I absolutely love about um, what, watching MMA and have the utmost respect for you is that when you're in that, and we spoke about this before, but like when you're in that environment where you're in an amateur fight, professional fight, um, you're in complete survival mode. That that like exactly. that you the only thing you the only thing that you can be is present. 
and and like completely focus on the task at hand right so i'm sure there's been you've been in deep uncomfortable situations and and all these sorts of things but would love you to share i haven't had many people in here from a, a background like that um on this show so like for you looking at your sort of um, business career and, and your entrepreneurial journey, how, what similarities do you see in Donovan Muay Thai fighter doing that, going into those, those fights and, and being a business owner? How's it helped you? Well, it's do or die, isn't it? So when you set up your company, you have to do deals or you die. <laughs> when you're in combat, it's either you do them or you get done. Mm. You know, so look, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between the both because they're both about strategy and having discipline. If you don't have discipline in a business, you're probably not going to lay down the foundations that allow you to grow your business. You're not going to, you know, do the the rounds, the groundwork. You're not going to call your candidates, hit your KPIs add your contacts just like when you're a professional fighter or a professional athlete you've got to do your cardio you've got to get your technique up you've got to think of your brain and get your strategies because you know just like you can't just call any client and say okay well have you got any jobs you know i'm donovan from nicholas bernard i can supply consultants have you got any jobs you've got to come with a strategy so you've got to find a unique selling point. You've got to find market information, speak to candidates. If you're targeting, for example, you know, uh, BP, speak to all the candidates at BP and understand what's going on at BP and then call the manager and say, look, I know that you're doing this, you're doing that. If you're fighting an opponent and you know that he's a boxer or a kicker or he's going to have you in the clinch, you've got to play or you've got to be able to stifle their strategy. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, they're both, they're both very similar in the way that every day is an attack is a day that you have to fight for survival, especially in business, you know? Mm. So the bigger companies are more equipped to, you know, fight for that territory, for that market share, for that client, you know? So it's, it's a question of, you know, fighting them off and you've got to be, have that same mindset as you're going into battle, you know, every day you've got to, believe in your capabilities, believe in your system and apply everything that you believe in for you to be able to realize that success and that tiny step towards being closer to your goals, you know? I like it. Strategy, discipline, mindset. 100%. 100%. I mean, discipline to anything is the key. If you're losing weight, if you're one is to learn an instrument if you know you want to take up a new sport it's all about discipline isn't it donovan why do you think people fail at discipline because i think everyone listening would know i think everyone knows how to lose weight everyone knows how they could be better or Im- improve but obviously you, you hear consistency is king and, and discipline like like what why do you think and like you've obviously being a fighter that's something that you'd you would have to be non-negotiable with your discipline otherwise when you turn up to fight day, there's a good chance that you're going to get knocked out or yeah, you could be seriously (laughs) hurt. Or when you turn up to go on the scales and you do your weigh in, if you haven't been disciplined, then you might not be able to fight and you might not be able to earn the money that you've been working up, whatever. Right. So why I'll just be interested to get your thoughts on that. Like why, why do you think people fail at discipline? I think people have just been wrapped around in cotton wool a bit too much. Some people aren't really prepared to go through the depths and probably put themselves in in comfort situations. You grow when you're out of your comfort zone. You know, if you're you're starting out and you're scared of rejection, you're never going to understand how to get around the rejections. You've got to be able to just, you know, not take it to heart, you know. In anything you do, you you have to, if it's easy, you're never going to learn. Mm. you know a client's never going to answer all your calls it's probably going to take them probably it's probably going to take you 10 times to call them and then they answer and then when you speak to them five six times or eight times then they're going to start to remember you and 
probably start to buy from you. So I think that people are probably, they need to condition themselves more into this is hard. Not anyone can do this. And you need to be resilient and carry on. And eventually it will all add up as a compound effect to, you know, creating that picture. Mm. Yeah, I think the just the interesting point on that is like I think a lot of people assume like I think this sort of gym and working out and stuff is is just a good analogy. But like if I was to look at you, Donovan, be like, wow, he he works out a lot, he looks in great shape, he must find it easier than I do. Or for example, running, for example, a lot of people may look at people that do amazing runs and all that and go, they must really enjoy running. But I'm sure hopefully you agree, but I can relate to running where I used to be the person I'd say I, I hated running. But I'm it's actually the yeah, but it's the people that it's not, it's not. So it's the mindset of, okay, yeah, you might hate it, but it's the, those that push through that and st- still do it, isn't it? It's, Absolutely. That's, so it's like, don't assume that people like you might look at someone and go, oh my God, they're so good at business development. I'm finding it really difficult, blah, blah, blah. They must find it easy. Well, actually, no, they've pushed through that discomfort to give themselves more of an opportunity to find it more comfortable or be more competent in the uncomfortability. Do you get what I mean? I think uh, that's absolutely. the interesting point. Yeah, and look, there's some elements of recruitment that I don't like to do, you know, but I know that it has to be done. You know, if you, you know, you have, to, you have to do groundwork. You have to speak to candidates to get leads. If you don't speak to candidates, you don't get leads. You have to map out clients, okay? There's certain elements of it which are boring but fundamental, you know, so... I so, never liked running, but it was a core part of what I did. And, you know, there's a lot of elements in recruitment that you're not going to like that you have to do. Yeah. So quickly then, how would you describe early days of Nicholas Bernard then? Just you smashing out at home. How would you describe those early years? <laughs> well, working from home, I didn't like it because, you know, it's, it's very easy to be comfortable and distracted. Definitely for me. And um, I think I wanted at the time, I remember that I wanted to have, I lost engagement with colleagues and, you know, just general camaraderie in the office. So when my business partner, um, Richard, joined in 2013 and we got an office in Shoreditch, I thought, great, I can get up and go to work again. And, um, yeah, it was great. It was great. But, you know, we still had ups, ups and downs. It wasn't, okay, now we're in the office and we're smashing it, you know. So there was ups and downs in that. Okay. So um, what, what what advice would you give then to a younger Donovan starting this business? Hmm. Just, well, I found that there was a bit of an illusion at first because, you know, I had the whole world that I could contact and there was no restrictions. But then it's like, okay, I can speak to everyone and anyone, but then where do I actually start? Mm. So, you know, it's you always need to just focus in one territory, focus in an area, you know, like you said, double down, like I hear you say on many of your podcasts, you need to have just like a, be a specialist in one area then you or one client, and then you could branch out, you know? So um, I think at, the, at first I wasn't as focused. I was just running around the market, just trying to chase any, trying to get deals. Within, yeah. yeah, within SAP, but even that is too vague. Mm, okay. So when, when um, uh, Richard came in then, what, what would you say was the biggest impact it, like what was the biggest impact Richard had or him personally or just having another human being involved? Cause obviously it was just your own. And I think a lot of people are quite worried about starting a business on, on a recruitment business on their own. So like, what, what would you say were sort of the, the best things about having someone involved in your recruitment business? Well, for one, you don't want to let your business partner down. Accountability. Accountability. Absolutely. So, you know, you don't want to be late because then you don't want to, you don't want that person to think, oh, he's taking a piss or you don't want to have another day off or half a day. You want people to think, okay, yeah, the person that I'm in this with is great. You know, if I'm going to war with someone, I would want to go, go to war with that person. So it makes you raise your standards because you're no longer, you're no longer just 
keeping yourself answering yeah, to you're yourself, not just yourself accountable to, yeah precisely precisely so you know it slowly added a bit more form and shape to it being a small business and you know i'm a very process orientated person so you know it was just another piece of the puzzle of a system that was being created that you know let us scale eventually you know to being mm. the company we are today how how easy did you find it having to like answer to someone else or you couldn't do you know what i mean like i don't know like did you find that difficult no to be quite honest we don't answer to each other but it's you know it's, it's there's obviously a respect thing where you want you know we always communicate and um you want everything to always be clear crystal clear and yeah it always has been to be fair we, you know if if you do if you do the something in the best possible way then other people will see that and you know it doesn't it doesn't become a question of answering to someone else okay so richard joined in 2013 yeah. and then you didn't make your your first hire until when was that roughly so we hired 2000 July 2017. Okay. So yeah, solid four years of obviously yeah, building. So like what what like did you guys have a plan when Richard joined? Like what was the what was the plan? Tell us a bit about what the intentions were for those two to four years with Richard being involved. So the first plan was for us to build as much as possible and just pay off large chunks of our mortgages off. Okay. And we were just absolutely smash it out. Yeah. And then we were just, you know, both put in, you know, a percentage or a part of our billions into a pot and then that pot finances hires. So, um, yeah, we had, we both got to a level that we had some solid billings, you know, and uh, yeah, we went for it. Give us some context, just you two, what, Tell us how long it took traction. What were you, what were you guys billing? Because it's all contract SAP. Yeah, so I was billing about two hundred forty a year, and Richmond okay. was doing the same. And then we started employing. But do you know what? Even with that, a lot of people think, okay, well, um, you know, I'll just set up and just do it all myself. But it's it's a lot harder than that because you've got to. You can't just be a biller. You've got to be a businessman. You've got to be able to set up a system, you know, or you can't just have one lucky year where, mm. you know, you've come across a client and, you know, they're hiring lows and then it all goes bad, you know, because then if you start hiring people and you don't have that solid foundation of client giving you jobs or clients giving you jobs, then, you know, you could find yourself a bit in a sticky situation. So, you know, we was both billing you know, 240 grants, you know, for the year. And we had a solid base where we could just thought, okay, this is a platform that we can actually yeah. go and, and create something with. Let's just talk a bit about that platform, Donovan, and let's talk about the sort of last three years. Because I think that's interesting, right? So like what you did it in the, so basically what you've done there is you've de-risked the risk of hiring more people and growing the business, right? But yeah. yeah, building a platform, I'm assuming there's maybe some systems that you thought about as well. We might have some sort of key accounts, but like what, what, when you say platform, talk to us a bit about that. Cause I think some people benefit from that who are thinking maybe they want to grow this business, but not sure of when to hire or like where to get to. Do you get what I mean? So you mentioned a bit about billings and revenue that you're bringing into the company, but yeah, what, what, what was the sort of, I guess, what were you and Richard aiming for? to to get to to for you guys to have confidence and be like right let, let's start trying to grow this thing now yeah so i'm assuming it could be i don't know and um, in terms of money's wise you wanted saving where you gave yourself a six month 12 month runway or it might yeah. be in certain systems like what what was you getting to for you to guys to be like right let's let's get more people involved and try and grow this business well to be quite honest is when we had one the market was really good we got to a point where we had, you know, a good amount of money in the business and that we had refined our systems. Our database was, you know, pretty much spot on. And we just thought the time was right, to be quite honest. Okay. Um, plus also, it's also down to, it was also down to our natural progression as individuals, because realistically, if you're, 
a one-man band recruiter. You're, you're just a recruiter, aren't you? But for you to evolve and get to that next level, you need to have people underneath you to manage, lead and coach. You know, so the time was right and we felt that, you know, we had had a good spell, but we wanted that next level and that new challenge in terms of, you know, bringing people on and training them up okay. and so forth. Yeah. So how, how did you go about this then, Donovan? Because, Donovan, because you're, in, a, you're, in, you're in London. Yeah. There's uh, a lot of recruitment businesses in London. It's you and yeah. Richard smashing it out. Like, how, how did you go about getting people into this business and, and not for the challenge? I think that, that's one of the biggest challenges for a lot of recruitment businesses or smaller grown businesses. So, like, how did you then, did you get people without experience at the start? Did you just, so you just hired one person or did you hire quite a few initially? Talk to us a bit about how you, try, how you aimed at growing it. So, basically, we, um, we hired grads. Or well, we hired inexperienced recruiters, people that had some sales experience, and uh, we just trained them all up. So we we put together a training program, um, and yeah, we just had some good hands-on. We were like their their mentors. Like you go to the gym and you have a personal trainer, but it's just like that. So we hired our first consultant in July 2017. We hired one, and then we hired our second employee um, in October 2017. And, you know, things are all going good. Then 2018, February, we hired two, two more at a time. And, you know, we thought, okay, well, let's just limit the work. It's the same training. You know, we had the cash we had the we had the, the the funds to be able to facilitate it, and then we just kept on hiring, probably like uh, you know, two every five to six months. Okay, so when you say training, I know you just yeah. mentioned there where it's like hands and stuff like that. Just give us a bit of a flavour of that because I think that's where I think it comes back to systems, doesn't it? And I'm assuming that you're thinking, well, if we have a training program now where we are, then that hopefully will come in handy when we get to 20, 30, 40 people, right? So I yeah. guess what like some recruitment owners that are sort of where you're at, they may think, well, I'll give them a phone and then I'll sort of just answer their questions and stuff like that. Like what what were what were the what did that training program actually consist of out of interest? Well to be quite honest, it's there was no glossy, you know, handouts. It was just getting on the phones and doing the work. Right. But we would be listening to, you know, all of the calls. They would literally be sat next to us. And after every call, we would be like, okay, the candidate said this. It means this. Therefore, you've got two options. You can either do that or this alternative. And this is what you get in both situations. So it was like a case study on every call, you know, right. and that and 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 we found that people would learn a lot better, a lot more, should we say, than you know, some of the bigger companies are just like, all right, here's some numbers, here's the phone, just crack on, you know. Mm. So it was really just proper coaching, should we say? Yeah, okay. And um, look, it's something that people are always interested in, Donovan, like, and I think back to the first question, there's so many different things that, well, there's so many different types of successful recruiters, different backgrounds or whatever, but like over the sort of last, yeah, three, four years where you've consistently hired now, like what are your non-negotiables when hiring for your business? Like what do you, what do you look for? And yes, work ethic and these things, but like what do you actually look for? What are the non-negotiables for you? Um, so, you know, we haven't always got it right, but we've got it right more often than not is just pure drive and hunger. Mm. You know, I, I don't really, I'm not bothered about if, you know, someone comes from money, good upbringing, because I'm not going to generalize, but if you've had hardship, if you haven't really had much in life, 
there's a chance that you're going to be more hungry to go and get it to make it happen. So that's what we personally look for. You know, we look for hungry, you know, just diamonds in the dirt. (laughs) Seriously, that's what we look for, diamonds in the dirt. And, you know, we polish them up. We'll give them a chance, you know. A lot of the people, they probably wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have been seen by the bigger, the bigger, more corporate recruitment companies. You know, we'll just, you know, if you can sell... If you've got that drive, then yeah, we're interested. What what are we looking for here then, Donovan? Like a a rough, like a backstory, like I had it hard when I was younger. I'm here to like, do you know what I mean? Are you you digging for that with people? No, to be quite honest, it's like everyone's got to be themselves, you know. But we've hired some people that, you know, dress well and, you know, they're quite polished and then, when they come and, you know, they say they want to be successful, they say they do this, but then it's like, okay, I'll call this client later. Well, no, call him now. Oh, I just tried him once or twice. No. <laughs> You've got to be on it. You've yeah. got to be on it because every time you're not on it and calling and making it happen, you know, when you're racing with your competitors on that job, believe me, they're going to harass that client, that candidate. It's, it comes down to drive. So where people don't have it in them to, you know, just, just not just be persistent, you know, that's 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 what that's what we look for. People that are just they need to earn money, you know. Mm. If we think that you don't need to earn money, if you've got it too easy, then look, it's better that you know they go to some of the, the bigger companies because you've got to understand yeah look, when we started we didn't have any external back in you know we just did it all organic so we've gone for a slower approach where we're training up people ourselves and yeah we want to obviously we, we're a business we need to see a return so we need to hire people that want to change their lives that want to make an impact you know in in the sat recruitment world and would you say like that training and your time has been more so than not worth the investment? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent because it's like, it's definitely worth the investment because you're, you're, you're buying, you're, you're employing people when they're cheaper and then you're training them up. You know, it's like you're getting, it's like, you know, being Arsenal that, you know, develops youth academy and then yeah. they grow into to players. You know, obviously it's, 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 it's definitely worth an investment, but I went to the recruitment fair. I think it was last February, not this February gone, the, the one before that. And one of the speakers, I can't remember who, they said that, look, you can't build a recruitment company on inexperienced recruiters really but yeah yeah you know on grads in experience i mean once that you're a certain size you can bring an academy and just bring an D person and then just train them up and you know just 10 in eight out at the end of the month two sticks <laughs> but look you know we've we've done a good job of it so far but obviously there's going to come to a point where we're probably looking at more experienced recruiters but yeah it's worked for us so far Okay. So what what were some of the sort of key ingredients to Nicholas Bernard going from yeah, you you and um your business partner doing five hundred K or so revenue between you to then hiring people to to now yeah, last year did the eight million in turnover. Like what were some of the sort of key things that you think has enabled you to to get to that point? Because that's 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 a, an amazing achievement. But if you think of that, obviously you're a small business, right? So to be generating that, yeah. that that's great. So like, what what were some of the sort of so you're mentioning around the people training them up, the right types of people that you're getting into the business? But what what else do you think that you and Richard have have sort of had to change or um, have implemented that has enabled you to to achieve turnover like that? To be quite honest, it's having market information and going for quality clients. Right. When things started to go really good for us is because we had some, we had a strategy and this strategy was complemented. 
with having a couple of key clients that enabled us to deliver and have a good financial you know platform for us to grow you know so focusing on certain key clients in regions and yeah just just being able to deliver on them but that comes with having the market knowledge being a subject matter expert in in your fields you know mm. What so look? Let's talk about that because I think a lot of like hopefully you agree, but a lot of recruiters get fixated, and this has come out from some of the conversations recently where I had a um, chap called um, Oliver on from Faden International that are a global organisation scaled to eight hundred staff, and they've done really well in America. And one of the things that he thinks is the the key reason why is that they really impacted the culture of instead of sort of getting a new client doing really well then rinse and repeat with the next new client, new client. Actually, what they ended up doing is, yeah, focusing on key clients, expanding those accounts. They ended up building a whole team, client services team, that then turned, I don't know, six-figure accounts into seven-figure accounts, right? So from your perspective, what was you looking for that you think or gave you more confidence that these could be a key client or a good client? Like, What, what were you looking for? What were you trying to gather and understand? Well, to be quite honest, we we started to have a different uh, approach. So a lot of our competitors were supplying SAP resources across Europe, and we started to branch out further afield. So, you know, since 2014, we started doing lots in the US. We had some key accounts that focused our delivery in the US and Asia, so we weren't just another recruitment company doing, you know, uh, prospecting for the European markets, but we were able to follow implementation projects globally. And, uh-huh. you know, there were certain regions where we didn't really have much competition, you know, yeah. and that allowed us to really, you know, just form a partnership and yeah the billions and billions rose with, with with those partnerships so you know in 2016 we set up a, a c corp in the us the plan is to um because we did probably about 50 percent of our revenue out in the us and you know the plan is to to grow that part and just have you know troops troops on the ground in the us in probably a couple of years <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So actually your competitive advantages and how, so it's actually been, yeah, global, a global focus. Yeah. Um, and yeah. actually, yeah, okay. So yeah, and we still, we, we've still had a focus in Europe, but, you know, it's been like, you know, we can follow your implementations across Europe. Yeah, so Asia, instead of, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so like you might have got a client in Europe where you supplied X amount of people for an implementation, Japan, and then you've gone, Korea, yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah. before, you're, what you're saying is, well, actually, we made sure or we aimed to start working with clients that didn't just have an EU operation or whatever. They had, yeah, global footprint, which meant we deliver well here. Then it's like, right, who, who's dealing with your Asia implementation or whatever? We can supply that, blah, 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 right? Exactly. So so let's talk about this then, Donovan. You're someone that's bilingual, right? There are, you, may have, you may have noticed this, but there's definitely more UK agencies going to America. There's more definitely. UK agencies just focusing in the EU markets. So talk about the nuances that you've had to adapt to. Like, What have you had to change in your approach or what have you had to learn about the American culture that you've had to adapt to? A lot of people are interested on, if, I'm t- if I've typically been a UK recruiter, but I've heard the fees in America are much larger or um, actually there's a real option, like the UK is just completely saturated. I'm just going to do Amsterdam and this skill set or whatever. Like, yeah. let's talk about America first, because I think that's, that's quite popular. What, like, what have you had to adapt to? What things have you picked up on that you're going, oh, well, that's a bit interesting. I'll make sure I don't do that next time. Or what, what have been the main differences that you've picked up on? Well, the more we started to do, um, the more we started to trade in the US, the more our clients or prospects clients would ask if we had a local entity out there and they didn't want to be invoiced by a European company or a foreign company. And there was a lot of, you know, bureaucracy and, 
just a lot of paperwork, a lot of hoops to to jump through just to avoid that, so to bypass that. So we ended up setting up a company there. And um yeah, still it's been it's been challenging because um you know there's unless you're actually there, it's a lot more difficult to um gain the trust from US clients when you're in Europe or even US candidates. Some, you know, some will be like, well, how do I know I'm going to get paid? I don't really want to work with a non-US entity. You know, even though that SAP is a German software, European software. <laughs> and I just, yeah, but yeah, that's all fun and games. But also the hours, the hours is a killer. <laughs> really? The hours is a killer, yeah. I was, um, I was doing 14 hours a day, um, coming home most nights at half 11. Yeah, still wow. having my my phone just beeping with emails and that. But. So, so, so what about? So you mentioned a bit about yeah, so to, yeah, dealing with what? Well, well, have you got an organisation in America, or whatever? What about? So one of the conversations I had recently with um, a chap called um, Lewis who uh, has actually moved out to um, Boston, Boston, Massachusetts, and one of the things that he shared, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, is that. Um, he's had to really change his approach in making sure that he builds relationships with internal recruiters okay. and that's actually helped him open up some big accounts. Whereas before he used to do the, um, um, Danish market and he would be super direct, go straight to the CEO and, and wouldn't always go through the internal recruiter. But that's, that's something that actually ended up being more damaging than, um, positive. So mm-hmm. what's been your experience in, winning accounts have you had to go for internal recruiters have you had to adapt that or what's been your experience with that no not really no we haven't really had to to do that in the u.s um to be quite honest i think where the u.s market is different is that you've got a 180 model which is basically just you know and someone that's just doing delivery and yeah. then you have um someone that's just focusing on business development you don't really have much of 360 recruiters now from the client point of view it was literally just it directors or erp managers that we would all well that would always be speaking to so i don't think it was you know that different to um, i mean i think this is going to depend on the sector that you're in but yeah, i don't think it was that different to yeah it's not going to be that different to um the setup in europe to be quite honest Okay. Interesting. So, um, look, so what, um, what's helped you get through the last six or so months, Donovan? How, how have they been? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's brought us back down to reality. (laughs) It's, uh, definitely been humbling, but look, we, we've had good we've, we've run the business in a very good way so you know we've we're still financially healthy we're still making a profit you know we still haven't had to use any of our savings as a business even though that we've we're in the you know the worst crisis human race has ever seen um look if you do good things in the good times then in the bad times you should be good you know, as long as you've got discipline again, you know, and you're doing good processes, then, you know, it, it makes the hard times easier to survive. Now, um, no, we, were, we were very good. We topped up everyone's furloughs, you know, that we paid everyone extra 20%. We paid everyone full commission and, you know, some of our, a lot of our competitors and I heard a lot of other agencies were paying half commission, 33% or whatever it is. You know, we paid everyone 100% commission and we topped up people's furloughs. So um, because we had a good, good, solid foundation. Um, but, yeah, it has been hard. You know, we have come well, what's down. Been, what's been your biggest challenge? Biggest challenge is, well, look, we, not all of our sales force, not all of our recruiters were experience so having people which are still training and got you know less than a year's experience working from home remotely when they still need guidance that's challenging you know so when lockdown happens smashing it out 
Yeah, well, this is it. And when lockdown happens and you've got runners that are finishing left, right, and center, and you don't have the workforce, which is, you know, working to 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 add to the runner base, that obviously becomes a, a big challenge. So, yeah, because I've I've heard that a lot. Donovan, was did you did you have conversations where, or did you literally go from X amount of contractors out? to dramatically drop him by, I don't know, 50, 75%, which you then had to build up or... I've heard, yeah. Yeah. Like how... Yeah, definitely. What was the thought process then? Was you like, oh my God, are we literally going to have, go from X runners to zero? Well, because it's I've like heard, when you're in the ring. Know, it's like, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I've, I've heard a new number of stories. So I spoke to a guy the other day who um, was in, um, he's always done contract. He was in construction and literally he went from six seven k grand book it was just him um to a couple hundred quid overnight (laughs) yeah well (laughs) you know it's just like when you're in the ring so you know if you're in the ring and someone comes at you and they want to take your head off you're not going to panic you've got to have composure you've got to believe in your skills believe in your processes believe in your strategy and you just just got to work the game so you know look this is a cycle. So we're in the down cycle now. We've we've built the business in a certain way that we have to, you know, keep at it and carry on giving our best and training our employees and make sure that everyone understands that this is the hardest it's going to be for the next 12 years or so because recessions happen every 12 years. You know, the credit crunch last time. And the dot net bubble, um, which burst, you know, in 2001 or whenever it was in the year 2000. So every 12 years or so, there's a cycle. Now, this is the hardest going to be. So people have to believe in our leadership. They have to believe in the system. They have to understand what's going on in the world. And everything, the good days will be back. You know, you just have to carry on, work harder because the market shrunk. You know, if you put the same activity in the good times as you do in the bad times, obviously it's not going to be enough, you know. So as um, as long as people give their all and believe in, you know, our vision, then we're going to back all of our employees. And I believe we're going to come back out on, on the other side and, you know, just carry on with our growth plan. So, so what what I'd be interested in. So, look, you've you've been in that environment where you've been in a ring and it's it's do or die, as you said. But like, how do you communicate that as a leader? Because you you might know, yeah, look, this is this is really bad. What you're talking about, I, I, look, I'm I'm. It might be more comfortable to you to be like, right, let's let's do this. Like, I'm I'm ready to 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 get at it and and take action. But how did you then communicate that as a leader to? your staff because i'm sure there might be business owners or even managers going you know what i've sort of weathered storms before we can do this but it's communicating that to the people that may not think that straight away or may have that place to go to do you know what i mean well to be quite honest we don't just wait for the bad times to try and communicate a message you know we've communicated messages in the good times so to all of my you know to all of my employees I used to tell them about, okay, well, look, guys, you don't know how good the market is, you know, in the recession, in the credit crunch. There was times where we weren't probably picking up a job for, you know, a couple of weeks. You know, if you've got a job a month, it might, you know, sometimes, you know, I experienced that in, in that times and they couldn't believe it because they were used to picking up, you know, quite a few a week. And then, when the pandemic happened, it was like, well, look, guys, remember what I was saying, you know, about what it was like. Now you've earned your stripe. Now you're, this is where you're going to earn a badge because you're being a recruiter in the recession. This is when you're going to learn how to recruit when the market contracts. And when we get through this, you're going to be a better recruiter, you know. So we're constantly coaching and 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 giving them the message, you know, not just now that Corona's here and ruining all of our lives, but, you know, we was, you know, just building them up and building the beliefs and making them understand how good the market was, you know, well before this mm. pandemic. So look, what, one or two things before um, I ask you some quick fire questions, Donovan. Yeah. Um, 
be really interesting to get your thoughts on this. So in, in your opinion, um, could refer to yourself or sort of people you've been around in your career or your employees, but um, what would you say or what do you think is the most important action or KPI that contributes to a recruiter's success? Hmm. This is an interesting one. Look, I've worked with I've worked with million pound billers <laughs> that just bash the phone out every day for four hours a day. I've worked with million pound billers that were just street savvy, just you know, pure hunger. And I've worked with very successful, probably more average Joes and process orientated person. But the number one trait that they all had that they all had was outworking the competition. No matter how much charisma you have, no matter how much flair, how much knowledge that you have, hard work beats talent all day long. So the KPI, KPI is not a specific one, it's the volume that they do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you've got to work smart, obviously, because, you know, the world's changing, times are changing. I mean, you know, now there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot of AI and email focus, email campaign and marketing. But look, however, however the times you have to work hard, I think your number one attribute, you have to be a hard worker. Yeah. You know, if you don't work hard, if you don't, if the phone's not going to call itself, you know, a client's not going to, yeah. you know, just give it to you. So you've just got to go and make it happen, you know. But like I said, with the different types of very successful recruiters that I've worked with, they all bloody worked hard, mm. you know. Um, and, and, and final thing before I ask you these questions is because I think you're, you're very well positioned. If I'm a recruitment consultant or, or, or business owner, sort of this period has probably really showed me that I, I do need to not have all my client base in UK and actually internationalizing and, and having more of a um, international footprint can actually diversify my business and, and give me more chance of dealing with difficult times. What would be your like three best bits of advice for me as a recruitment consultant or business owner to take my recruitment desk or market international, would you say? So basically how to position yourself internationally, is that what you're asking? Yeah, so, like, so I, I think a lot of people during this period may have, may have gone, you know what, I, I, I know America's not as bad, I'm going to go over there and try and win some business there or whatever. So I guess what I'd be keen just to get from you, because you have worked in always really international markets, if that's yeah. EU, Brazil, whatever, like what would be your three best bits of advice for me if I'm – I've recognized that my sector, there's an opportunity to not just do it in the UK where it's more saturated. I could actually diversify and pick up business in the EU or America, or whatever. What would be your free bit of advice for me to do that? To do that? Well, I mean, if in my field is multinational companies. So if you're dealing with a client in Europe, there's a big chance that they're going to have an entity in the US and an entity in Asia. So if you're dealing with them in Europe, why not, you know, start trying to deal with them in the US and in Asia? So you've, you're literally, it's a warm call, it's a warm relationship, but you've got to be able to back that delivery and have a candidate pool in the US or in Asia. So you need to build that, that candidate network um, to be able to reflect that. Um, you know, with that, you need to understand the, the networks because, if you're trying to pitch people in the US and you don't understand the US rates and or the the different you know business culture in a specific market, then you're going to fall flat on your face. And obviously, every region has got different compliance. You know, if if you're you know there's withholding taxes, there's different um, ways of doing business. So you've got to really understand, you know, what you can and can't do in different markets because you know um if a client doesn't pay you then yeah it's gonna hurt (laughs) you know if 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 you haven't you know incorporated if you haven't 
figured out that he's withholding taxes and, you know, a country's got 20% withholding tax, then, yeah, that's your margin gone to the tax, okay. to the tax man. <laughs> got that. Um, I've got five questions for you, Donovan, okay? Okay. And we'll, and we'll finish. So, first one. If you could change the industry, what would you improve? If I could change the industry. Um, if I could change the industry. Well, I think LinkedIn's changed it. <laughs> yeah. I think LinkedIn has really uh, changed the industry. I mean, it's put everyone on a semi even like position where yeah, yeah. yeah where you don't have to be a specialist you can just put an advert out you don't have to be a specialist in sap you can just have big budgets you know put loads of adverts out on linkedin and mm. you can reach the same people that you know we reach to but not as fast as us because this is what we do all day every day <laughs> so, so, so um, what, what would you want to improve then so what would you want to improve about the recruitment industry if you could change it to be quite honest, I think it's all going down. It's all going down an automation and AI. I think the. I hope it doesn't, but I think that human touch element. I can see it going down an automation part, which I think could kill the industry in years to come. Okay. But yeah, that's what I would want to prevent. To be quite honest. What book have you read that has had the biggest impact on you? Hmm. It's quite a few, but Rich Dad Poor Dad Two Cash Flow Quadrant. If you want to set up a business, you need to understand what a business really is, because a lot of people work for themselves. They think they own a business, but they don't. They're just self-employed. So Rich Dad Poor Dad One is a good introduction, but Cash Flow Quadrant. That's the real one. Like it. So if Donovan could write a LinkedIn post that could yeah. be seen by every single recruitment consultant across the world, what yeah. would you want it to say? Oh, you really put me on the spot now, haven't you? <laughs> um, what would you want it to say? What would I want it to say? What would I want it to say? To be quite honest, I don't really know. I'm not going to no? bullshit you. No, I don't really know. <laughs> Put you in the spot. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, we'll I'm not a blagger. You can tell I'm not a blagger. <laughs> I'm real. All right. What did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on? What did I spend my first biggest commission? What, as in when I was first starting just whenever, out? Whenever, whenever, just whenever, like whenever... To Go be on. quite honest, I bought I bought my flat straight away. So I really fair. I, yeah, I bought a flat in literally within the first. I was I was pretty much in my first year of recruitment, and it was in two thousand and five. And I just put all my money and just bought a flat. I'm I'm a builder. I'm about you know just growing and making it happen. Yeah. And once yeah, then you could be a bit more flash and yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's 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 only in the last probably five years that I've started going on lots of holidays and just being a bit more, you know, just splashing out. <laughs> yeah, enjoy, enjoying your hard work. Okay. This is it, and this is it. And there, there was times where, you know, I wasn't doing any of that because I was just accumulating and grinding, and, yeah, then you just got yeah. to cash in. Last question. Yep. What is the ultimate goal for your recruitment career? Or your recruitment entrepreneurial journey? What's your ultimate goal? Oh, my goal. Um, I would like to have. I would like to have a big, big, a big conglomerate of recruitment companies in different continents, different brands doing different technologies, and yeah, just be seen as a leader, as a pioneer. Donovan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Shem. It's been a Thank pleasure you. as well. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings 
from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.